You ever considered that maybe we should just be a split screen for this podcast? Just right down the middle and, <laughs> and we're just buddies in bed talking about this, talking about movies. What? Have you ever thought about that? How, how... <laughs> Have you ever considered that idea? I'm considering multiple ideas. How about this for an idea? What if I just went like, oh, yeah, oh, fuck, <laughs> oh, fuck. You remember, you remember what, you know what that scene is? Uh, you know what that scene uh, do is? Do I know what it is? Adam? Yeah. Do you know what I that know scene what is? Oh, oh, fuck, yeah. oh, fuck, yeah. yeah. That's uh, when Harry met Sally, when <laughs> Billy Crystal in the cat's deli. But he does. Uh, yeah. he, he has an orgasm, right? I watched their same There's film. No as delicatessen. You? <laughs> There's no delicatessen the... in the world that will seat us if you oh, ever do this uh, bit. <laughs> uh, uh, Billy Crystal. <laughs> That's how he sounds when he. he uh, yeah, he's cu- there. For people listening to this in the morning, that's your morning installment of thinking of Billy Crystal coming. You sound like a disgruntled trucker when you do it. <laughs> You just, that's what he sounds like. I don't know. I yeah. did my research. That's all right. <laughs> I watched I am the movie. That, I'm enjoying that in this bit. You <laughs> this watched the movie, bit. but had the but heard it's the wrong, the wrong orgasm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it doesn't have legs. The bit doesn't have legs. This is bit. director piss theater. I am sure Abe Epperson, and I'm here to talk to you about film with my friend. <laughs> Adam Gans. Ad, that's me, and I'm not English today. <laughs> but apparently you are, and I'm thrilled I'm, by that. I just feel like a fancy boy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I felt like the fanciest boy, because you gave me uh, a gift, a true gift, because I, I usually stay I did, away yeah. from rom-coms. And yes. then you were like, I want to cover When Harry Met Sally, uh, the Rob <laughs> Reiner film. And I was like, I haven't seen yeah. that movie, which is uh, to some I people. couldn't believe that. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. believe that. Did I've you like seen, it? I, lo- I did. I did. Yeah. I thought, you know, like it's uh, it, it's definitely of its time, you know, but definitely. it's more importantly, like really well crafted. And I hope yeah. to get into it with you. Yeah. Surprisingly well crafted because as a genre, rom-coms are not often thought about as being like well-directed movies, you know, because uh, they're they're very... They're the, mm-hmm. they're very antithetical to flashiness, you know. There's almost never there's almost never a flashy rom com that just doesn't really happen. Uh, mm-hmm. But this this topic has been like a gag that Abe and I have been talking about for months, where I keep <laughs> watching rom coms trying to get one on the show. <laughs> and I'm uh-huh. like, so like every month where I'm like, okay, I got to come up with a new topic. I'll watch mm-hmm. something like Runaway Bride or You've Got Mail. Bo- watch both of those this month, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. And just didn't find anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, man, maybe it's just me out here. Uh, You're just looking for wanting... love in all the wrong places, man. Very much so. Uh, and, very much so. Yeah, I did a Knight's Tale like like third episode of this the show. Right. And that's kind of a rom com. Yeah, that's kind of a rom com. Fuck yourself. That's a rom com. That's totally a rom com. Okay. All right, I can accept that. It's a rom com that has for Knight's Tale. It's also a competition film. Which sort of it allows it to get away from some of the rom-com conventions. And this isn't, and this isn't, Atom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah, you, yeah. the English Inquisitor, Abe. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say that, by and large, uh, by and large, rom-coms are kind of a writer's medium and like an actor's medium. Yeah. It's kind of where like our most beautiful actors 
like go to like have a 10 movie career basically. Right. You know, or maybe most beautiful is the wrong term. Like most charming people. Like we put all of our charm in like the actors who were like, ah, you could just see them do anything. They end up doing rom-coms, at least a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, and, and that's sort of the selling point of a rom-com is like, oh, it's George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Gotta be good. Uh, mm-hmm. And there isn't the same kind of like relish for the craft of directing in that genre as there is for even stuff like horrors and -hmm. thrillers, which are, there's much more obvious uh, directorial intent in the work when you watch them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like I did a little research to see uh, what directors people would know who have done a lot of rom-coms, like who are the famous directors from this genre. And uh, I got news for you. I don't think any of these people are, are name brands. Maybe one of them. But I'm going to go uh-huh. through and list some and see if you think any of them are name brands. Hit me. So, <laughs> person who doesn't watch rom-coms. <laughs> like, not on principle, but mostly <laughs> I'm for gonna, most of his life. I just don't have that pop right. culture blind spot, I guess. I'm about to fuck you up with this, bro. Get ready. Yeah. <laughs> get ready to get fucked up on number this. Number one. Yeah, number one. Nancy Meyer. Don't uh, know who that is. <laughs> great. She directed Father of the Bride 1 and 2. Those are pretty big movies. Uh, Something's oh, Gotta yeah. Give, uh, the remake of The Parent Trap, and uh, equally notably, What Women Want. Ooh, a yeah. Movie that's been remade, essentially. I have uh, not seen... I've seen Father of the Bride 1. Wow, you haven't seen, seen any of the rest of those. those. Nope. Wow. Okay, great. Uh, huh? Second director in this genre, Richard Curtis. You ever nope. heard of Richard Curtis? Okay, well, you've seen some of his movies. Uh, Notting Hill, uh-huh. uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, nope. and uh, Love Actually. <laughs> I is have a pretty seen big Love Actually, movie. so I'm yeah. one for three in that list. Yeah, but we we've heard of all those films at least, uh, those, and they all. The, have I mean, a vibe. these these are all vibes. Like I, to me, I understand that Nancy Mayer. Nancy, Nancy Meyer, yeah, M- Meyer. I think it's Meyer and Richard yeah. Curtis. <laughs> yeah. These people, the these are brands. These are they are all brands. these movies seem like they're like the same thing. Like Richard Curtis, he's like, but you want like a British love story? <laughs> <laughs> what, what about the Hugh Grant of it all? And they're uh, just like perfect. <laughs> well, they're all Hugh guy. Grant joints, right? Okay, uh, it's all. Hugh I think Grant. so. You got that going. Um, okay. Next, I think this is a name that most people know, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, Nora Ephron is a yes. director in her own right. So sh- she's famous for directing this a lot of stuff that isn't rom-coms, but here are the rom-coms mm-hmm. that we know her for. Uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Nope. Uh, that's a big movie, though. This is my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, know, you've, got, <laughs> you've got mail. You've, I've seen got the mail. memes. Love right. the memes. You've got uh, mail. In this movie. And, she didn't direct she this. this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, she yeah, did yeah. write it. Yeah, Those, I all, I recognize all of these. Yes, and the uh, the one director of rom coms who I think we do all know is uh, Woody Allen, right? He's done a lot Ooh, of yeah. stuff that you would call rom com, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's also, I think, one of the only like major writer directors in this genre. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Nora Ephron is a writer director, so he's he doesn't stand alone. But it's one of the reasons why I think we know who he is. Uh, is that he is kind of the only major celebrated <laughs> There's director. There's a little Woody Allen in this. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's a whole genre, really. Like, he, mm-hmm. Woody Allen does a whole version of this that for a very long time was extremely popular. Uh, yeah. So, And he's extremely prolific, you know, despite the 
the other parts of his life that are not good. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. Would you put like the Wes Andersons in the same category? Would you put like Rushmore? (sighs) Rushmore is probably closer to a rom-com than any of the rest of his work. Like they're, they're always deconstructive and uh, like uh, dysfunctional, but the, the tone. Yeah. Annie Hall's and whatnot. Um, I think that rom-coms are, by and large, an attempt to capture a contemporary human experience of love. I mean, they, they're, right. they're more than that, but that's like the basic, the primal appeal of them mm-hmm. is the, the, it's, it's the way we all feel about love, but captured in this contemporary context. New York in 1988. Mm-hmm. Or over right. email, or you know, whatever, whatever it is. Whereas I feel like yeah. Wes Anderson's movies are not as much that. They're often period pieces. They're mm. the characters are not as accessible. Like they're not everyman the way that a lot of these other films are. Even Woody Allen's films are quote unquote everymanish. Um, right. So I would make that distinction, and then I would say that Wes Anderson's filmmaking is very much uh, tension grabbing. You know, uh, which mm-hmm. I think actually dilutes some of the potency of what makes is, a rom com uh, appealing. What makes a rom com? Yeah, yeah, I mean that that's I think he's a deconstructionist. Right? Me too. He, he, I agree. He does. He he want, like I I named Rushmore intentionally because it's like that's like an impossible rom com because literally it's he's great. a child. You know, right. so it's like that makes sense for that, but it's all the beats are the same and it's, the conversations it, like are the, similar. Totally. In the Blake Snyder uh, genre conversation. Blake uh, Snyder. Absolutely. Not Zack Snyder. Not Zack Snyder. Save the cat guy. Save the cat, yes. In the save cat. (laughs) You guys know what (laughs) we're talking about. Uh, Uh, Maybe they don't. In that (laughs) sense of it, he's absolutely the same. Like he's writing the same story as a lot of these rom-coms. But his execution differentiates it so that the experience isn't quite the same. That's my argument. I would say rom-coms... Have a form, yes. There's a form. Well, formal. almost every rom-com, if you're interested in this topic, dear listener, it falls into a category of film that, again, to use the Save the Cat category, would be called the buddy movie, uh, which, by the way, is the same format for all the buddy cop movies. They're exactly the same formula. Uh, yeah, and that is that right. these two people are not right for each other, stuck together for one reason or the other. Uh, and then end up discovering they're right for each other, then, of course, break up because of that, and then finally end up together. That's how all these movies go, right. um, it, for one reason or the other. And so this movie that we're going to talk about today, When Harry Met Sally, is uh, probably probably one of the best of this genre. I mean, I wouldn't be uh, troubled by somebody saying it's the best. Uh, and I think when you watch it, it's like, yeah. I see why this one really stands out and has stood the test of time. It really uh, it surprised me. Uh, the 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 kind of cavalier they got to something authentic very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, they really yeah, did. That's uh, all. They there's something about it that's still true, even though a lot of the premise of it isn't true anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think yeah. that the fundamental relationship between these two people feels true, even if the conceit of the movie doesn't. So. The fun thing about When Harry Met Sally is that it's actually more talky 
It's more just two actors talking than any of the movies I've mentioned so far. Like there's right. so much less scheming and like three's companyness of in this movie than any of the others. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is there's no gestures because it's like yeah. a slow burn. That's right. Which means as a story, it's more dependent on actor chemistry and writing than any of the others I've mentioned before, where there might be more sort of like situational humor to kind of, you know, wrap your head around as a director. Uh, and so that's where, because of that, your job as a director is to be transparent enough to make us feel like this relationship is real, but also skilled enough to employ movie tactics to enhance emotion so that we mm. feel them. Uh, and uh, this is where I started to get into Rob Reiner, like study him a little bit, because although I'd seen his movies, I'd never thought about him as a director. And he has a fucking great career for about 10 years oh, here. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. His, his career is really good. It starts with This is Spinal Tap in 1984. And then here's the movies he made after that. The Sure Thing, 1985. Stand By Me, 1987. Princess mm-hmm. Bride, excuse me, 86. Princess Bride, 1987. When Harry Met Sally, 1989. Misery in 1990, mm-hmm. 1990. And then A Few Good Men in 1992. Uh, and then, of course, he made North in 1993, and his whole career went south after that. <laughs> uh, yeah, got him, got yes! him, Robbie, Robbie, yes, sit down, baby, <laughs> sit down, Reiner. No, he's great, uh, man. Uh, I thought North right? was okay. <laughs> North is okay. It I, it's just but famous. Yeah, it didn't do well. Well, and also it's the one that Ebert just freaked out. Like Ebert was like, I hated this movie, and it's and very you funny. You know that we're all clamoring to hear what Ebert thought, and we're right. like, what's 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 the four one one on the Ebert thoughts on North nineteen ninety three's North? And he's like, I don't like it. And then we all go, Yeah, fuck that movie, fuck well, Rob he, Reiner. But he, but like he, it's a famous evisceration. Like if anybody who wants to like Google it, it's it's one of Ebert's most famous. Like I hated this movie. Uh, like, it's a rant, and it's great for comedy value. It's, like, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what we can extract from this run here is that Reiner is one of those directors who kind of was able to slip in and out of genres and just did a great, solid film uh, for a pretty long time. And by the time he got to When Harry Met Sally, he was sort of at peak form. You know, like, he was operating at, at, at what will at, sort of, will, in hindsight, looks like the peak of his powers. And... Mm-hmm. uh what I'm going to argue in this movie is that without him, when Harry Met Sally is absolutely impossible and it shows the unique talent of a comedy director, like what it takes to direct comedy uh, is actually vividly on display in the film. And I'll show you how uh, forthwith. And Abe, you're going to have so much to say about this as a pro comedy director yourself. So I'm hoping uh, you'll weigh in. And, and to you, sir. Yeah. Well, that's and why I thought it might be sir. fun. Because yeah, we'll, be we'll have our own little insights into it. We got, we got a little insights. We directed yeah. some comedies. Right. And I also, yeah. I know you're going to like have visceral reactions to my head points, my headlines here. So I'm, I'm ready for this. Okay. Uh, so to start, I, most of these points are going to be defining what skills a comedy director needs to have to be good at their uh-huh. job. And the first one, and perhaps the most controversial, is that a comedy director has to be a writer. If you're going to direct comedy, you got to write. I know. I know it. Mm. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Uh, I, I agree with some of that statement. I think you have yeah. to have a sense of humor 
Uh, that's what I mean by writing, I think. Or yeah, you have know to be funny. what's funny. Uh, but yeah. That's right. I do think that right. instinct of has to exist. Otherwise, you're, you're Cardinal North, huh? Making more North puns up top uh, is not very good <laughs> and therefore right. going to throw the scenes off. So obviously, you got to be funny. Uh, you know, which but. means ultimately you are going to end up crafting what the humor sensibility is, and that's what I really yes. mean by writing. I don't mean you have to script as much as I mean you have to yes, be able to shape sure. and be funny. Uh, mm-hmm. and so this is where like the most surprising fact to me about the movie came out. Uh, Rob Reiner came up with the idea for When Harry Met Sally, it's his story. Uh, that surprised me very much because Nora Ephron very famously penned a script. But what happened was Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner in 1984, before Rob Reiner was even directing films professionally, met and were trying to come up with a project. And uh, Reiner basically ended up, from his own dating life, pitching this question, can a man and a woman be friends? What happens if they have sex? That was the, the man. conversation they have. I know. And it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> they started developing the script based on that question in 1984. So it took like five years to get from Rob Reiner sort of shooting the breeze with her in a pitch meeting to filming this movie. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's our that's already pretty crazy. Like a five year development cycle. That's a long time for a rom com. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, that's you don't usually need that kind of pre-production because you don't usually need to build a world that big in order to shoot this stuff. I don't know. Maybe the fountain, maybe Darren Aronofsky's fountain. Yeah, right. Is that a rom-com? Right. Is that a, maybe the that's rom-com? Maybe that's just a rom. It's just your basic rom. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's rom without it's just, com. It's rom sans com. I just yeah, like you know what that calling a romance a rom. <laughs> Sure. I like it too. Write it down. This, Uh, um, you know, this man, can a woman and can a man and woman be friends? That is, that's some wild shit, man. I remember I was in, you don't want to talk about this. I can, no, 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 I do. I, I don't hate it that much because I, it felt, what's weird about it is culturally that felt Mm -hmm. like a relevant question for a pretty long time. Right. Right. Like Seinfeld was still sort of dabbling with that question pop culture yeah yeah Yeah. and now it's just such a dead issue uh right so that's so weird as like that it's a springboard for a great relationship movie that but the the basic cultural construction of it is dead you know yeah Uh, that's a good way of putting it yeah that is fascinating well but yeah and he had to do he he had to go this is this is a unique perspective something that in the zeitgeist currently as in 1984 he was like he had his finger on the pulse somewhat because this did become a hit. Well, yes, he, uh, <laughs> so when you say finger on the pulse, basically what happened here is that Nora Ephron had a series of interviews with Rob Reiner who had just broken up with Petty Marshall. That alone. What a fun fact. Uh, they were married for a while and he was like, Rob Reiner was just like super depressed and neurotic and him and his producing partner, Andy Scheinman are just sitting there, giving anecdotes about their dating life and basically all of that became Harry. Like that's where Harry's character came from. It's just a lot yeah. of interviews with Rob Reiner himself. And, uh, 
so what I take from that is that being able to direct comedy material is that requires you to either enhance or create the material itself. Uh, and from my experience, I think you would agree. Like a lot of times when you're on set with a, you know, a, even a script you didn't write, um, you end up having to find a way to fix a joke uh, or to explain the joke to this crew that has to execute these complex, uh, these complex either lighting setups or camera setups or whatever, so that they Some get form what of is mechanism the idea that makes the joke work. Yeah, right. Right. It's like um, then, or, then we have to pan to them and they're really tiny or something like that. Exactly. Okay, how are we going to do that? Yeah. Exactly. And, and so that? you become like, the translator. Yeah. yeah. You become the translator for crew members. Also, sometimes even to the cast. Like just because a cast yeah. member is a funny actor doesn't mean they get every joke or that every joke makes sense to them. So like it, the screenwriter really does have to hand it over to you and make sure that you understand it. That's their concern. And you as the mm-hmm. director have to understand it and be able to like translate it into a thing that works. And, you know, screenplays are like everything else. They need to be toyed with to fit into the reality of filmmaking. That's just it. You yeah. know, uh, and it, you, you do have to do it. And if you don't do it right, it fucks up the tone. You've, you fail. Uh, it's not all the jokes. Obviously some of the jokes are just not like all the put the camera in front of the face, let's just and let see him say Billy the words. Crystal fake an orgasm. You know, like that. Let just let that happen, <laughs> you and then are you really go. This doing is... it. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, but honestly, like, like her performance when that, like, that is camera can only be wrong. It has. It can only be right. transparently right. 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 You, can't, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can't get in the way there. Yeah. Dolly in and do some sweeping shots and get some drone footage. No, fuck off. Camera right in front of the face of the Joker doing the jokes. And then sometimes that's the job. You know, absolutely. And then sometimes that's the job. And then there's a whole bunch of what you're talking about, which is like, well, all movie aspects are moving parts. And sometimes jokes take, I don't know, props, staging, the right spot, the right Thought. movement. Massaging. That we yeah. have to go, what's funny here and how do you show it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So that brings up my next uh, comedy director attribute and that is that a comedy director must be a collaborator um and what i mean by that is that to direct comedy means you have to create an environment where everybody who is already funny or is sort of you know part of maintaining the joke uh are that they're allowed to experiment it has to be kind of a laboratory to get the best laugh right and i think that any audience can see that now in the works of say like judd apatow um, it's probably why he's leaned further and further away from scripting um, because he believes in letting funny people be funny spontaneously. And then, you know, you can fix it in editing and stuff. Um, and also this is a pretty tried and true formula for a lot of sitcoms uh, where, you know, they'll be performing it live in front of an audience or whatever, and they'll go fix it. You know, like that joke didn't land. Let's rewrite the joke until we get the laugh. Right. And so, right. You know, even sh- recordings in television are sort of a laboratory, if you will, and uh, or or things like Scrubs, which is like single cam. They'll actually do like here's four different versions of the joke. Let's do them all, and then we'll decide in editing. And your job right. as a director is to make all those work. You know, uh, so well, it's make one work, but yeah, you make one of them work for sure. But ideally, to get the best version of all of them you're, and see which yeah, one's you're the best, trying. You know, which is kind of like I have my own thoughts on that. Like that's. I'm glad that's that. going away. I hate it. I yeah. hate it. 
I I like aiming for a target and hitting the target. Uh, but yeah. I think we both understand. And I like the, covering your ass. I I don't. It's not. Yeah. It's, it doesn't have to be one way or yeah. the other. It's just like the the idea that you're just like from jump. We'll just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and something will work. You know, it's definitely something that, is, that was very in vogue and now is not is less so. I'm just reflecting on the fact that that makes me a little bit happier. Uh, there's still harder many to, movies that were great. It's that. harder to ensure the quality of a film with that with that dynamic where mm-hmm. we aren't actually choosing. We're going to choose later. Like that that makes it harder. But it's still that the the nature of having to sort of get everybody to operate at a peak level is still true of directing even without that criteria like it's just that is a fact uh so like it also means you know being a comedy director in this case also means you're creating an open dialogue with a bunch of funny people and then sort of channeling it in the same direction like you're superintending this process um mm-hmm. and so i think the best way to illustrate how that happened in this film is the cat's delicatessen scene that abe is relentlessly misquoting (laughs) so Mm -hmm. uh this is the scene where sally does the fake orgasm in front of everybody you probably even if you haven't seen this movie you've definitely seen the scene uh it's just one of those timeless movie scenes uh where she's proving to harry women fake orgasms and he didn't believe it before but then uh he does after so here's how that scene actually came about so billy crystal who's a kind of kind of operating as a producer on this film in some ways as well. Like he's, he's definitely like got a creative hand in the film was worried that, uh, the story had shifted too far away from Sally and become too much about Harry and that the story needed to incorporate more relationship observations for her. Now this is during production as I understand it. So Nora Ephron suggests in response to that, well, she could talk about fake orgasms. So Reiner says, okay, let's green light that. And uh, he starts workshopping it to get it to work. So what does he do? He pitches it to Meg Ryan, who he gets to agree to do it. Who's like, okay, I get it. Uh, she suggests it takes place in a restaurant, which, by the way, ends up being an awesome sort of poetic rhyming thing that happens in the film that they kind of always yeah, have these. It's always at, yeah. There's always, always a restaurant restaurants where they have these big sex moments, and they're very funny. And uh, Crystal comes up with, I think, one of the most famous lines in movie history which is I'll have what she's having. It's like the end of the orgasm scene. It's so mm-hmm. good. It's still very funny. And the line gets delivered by Rob Reiner's mother. <laughs> you know what I mean? What a, which is so awesome, yeah. right? Yeah, right? that's right. And great. so you that's can see effect. how, yeah, he's sort of getting all the pieces to work together. And it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a thing that I think we both understand. Uh, but what makes Reiner it's so also, great... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. It oh, comes ahead. out of this place. It just comes out of this place that is like, what's the best idea in the room? Which we yes. hear a lot. You know, it's uh, it's sometimes at odds with this idea of like, well, there's one vision, one correct vision. A lot of people right. who have egos are like very much so. This is the and I've been that guy. You know, sometimes you feel of justified in being that same, guy. Same here. But like, you always got to temper that with like when you are looking for help you know for an answer any idea like is the thing right it's not necessarily yours if you think you have a better idea than me uh as someone as a leader should be like i want to hear it i don't think that that yeah you need i don't think there's a scenario where that doesn't improve the work 
but that's maybe it's weird that that's personal you know like a lot of people disagree with that statement well i or, or they aren't they aren't open enough to receive the statement, I think is a more accurate description yeah. because, and I say that from, you know, personal experience, I know that from when I started film school to where I am now as a director, I've gotten much, much more comfortable with the idea that it doesn't have to be me coming up with every idea. You know, there's a kind of insecurity yeah. that motivates that, that you can see Rob Reiner didn't have it. You know, there's a lot of cooks in this kitchen and yet he seems to be able to, not only foster an environment with that kind of creativity, because you know a director could easily shut that down, but he but it, he makes it work to the film's advantage. Like that many people came yeah. up with one of the best scenes in a rom com ever, you know, uh, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, another aspect in which he was sort of a great collaborator is that uh, most of the dialogue in the film was actually created by a conversation between Reiner and Billy Crystal. Uh, like, for instance, the phone call in bed scene uh, where Sarah, Sally and Harry are talking over Casablanca is apparently something that Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner used to do every night. Like, <laughs> They'd watch Casablanca. I don't know. Every night. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just found that factoid awesome. incredible. <laughs> it was like, man, pe- guys used to yeah, talk on so the they phone. Were, they were just, you know, just guys being guys. I mean, we've done that. I mean, not in bed. I you guess you and I are the only ones. I mean, you don't know. I don't, I don't know, and you don't know either. You and I are the only friends yeah. that I know in our group who do this. Uh, and I just think it's mm-hmm. funny that uh, this it's just like what's going on with you? <laughs> yeah, what's what you up to, you? buddy? Yeah, they, it doesn't really happen that much anymore. Partly because of a cultural shift and all the tech and everything. But I just kind of find it heart heartwarming that. Sally and Harry's friendship comes from a real friendship. Yeah. You know? I have to say, yeah. I have to say I did have this observation while I was watching it, Great. which is, uh, they had this, so they're both, they're doing like a split, split screen thing and they're, uh, and they're both watching Casablanca and the TVs are in sync and they're responding yes. in this kind of like mystery science theatery way. Right. Kind of like how you watch movies with friends. Right. Of course. But it's like, <clears throat> there's something about that when I was like, wow, the equivalent now today is like, I'll see you on Discord and I'll like <laughs> share my screen. I did kind of have a weird nostalgia for something that I never actually did in my life, which oh. is I was like, there's some kind of beauty in the idea that there's just radio waves coming from some other like place. Right. That you're and these interacting. Two people are just tapping into it together. Right. You're interacting. They're watching something together. Yes. It just, it feel, it feels different. And I was like, that's weird and stupid. And like, you never experienced that. Abe. That's not a thing that like you should have nostalgia for. Also, it's not like this is, it's better or worse. Like, it's obviously was harder to do. And like, I don't know, it's just weird to me that I had that realization where I was like that there's something sweet or like, maybe it's bittersweet because it's like gone. I don't know. It's maybe not I'm just like a, a guy who likes old shit. It, it's uh, not but that. I noticed I that. I was like, I, I would, right. I would diagnose that as being, it's, uh, it, it doesn't happen as much anymore because, uh, because there's way less shared experience going on yeah. in culture than there was at that time like you know there right. like there wasn't even TiVo in that time which is to say that like the only way they could share an experience if they're not in the same space is over the phone and so they're finding the way to do that right. 
where like like I've watched movies with girls like this even recently. You know, we're like, okay, let's sync up. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same thing as like, oh, are you watching this too? Oh, yeah. Like, it's not the same as like maybe catching a, a sports event or something on the phone with somebody. Live or something. Yeah. yeah. Because- it's, it's just, it's funny to me because the inside I felt the creep of like, uh, the equivalent to me would be like the one of the more boring takes that I've heard, which is just like, man, I miss the days that they uh, we could make mixtapes. You know, that is a boring take. I totally agree. Tapes. It's totally boring take because it's like, okay, then go do that on Spotify. It's fine. It's just whatever. It's fucking fine. (laughs) You know, the intentions the same. It doesn't. No, man, because I had to record each of the songs on top of it. It's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's nonsense. Yeah, I think that's a way of people sort of saying like, oh, I I had more a more genuine experience that I remember back right. then and like, yeah, i didn't exactly. mind the work it's like yeah because you were having a an emotionally connecting experience with this work yet for some reason when i saw sally and harry watching casablanca i was like man it'd be cool to that's cool well it's funny you say that because <laughs> there that's also part of what that scene is that scene's also nostalgic right, right. like they're watching a movie that's before either of their time either mm-hmm. you know uh and, and sort of like there's a wistfulness about like what the what the people of that time were like and stuff. That's part of the subtext of the scene. So I would say it also could be that the film was working, you know, uh, yeah, on exactly. an emotional level. Um, so one other aspect of Rob Reiner's collaboration on the film I thought was pretty cool. He had an ongoing contest with the crew to come up with the best title for the movie because the movie oh. went into production under the title How They Met. And uh, the winner of the title, of the of the contest was to receive a case of champagne. So I, I think that's just kind of fun, like for the crew to feel like they're part yeah, of it, fun. you know? Um, Cause a lot of times crew members are, it's a job and that's it. You know, this is a case where they're, they're part of the story and that's really neat. And, and we never found out who won. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't look super hard into it. Uh, I don't, <laughs> but I could have. Oh, okay. Maybe it's documented. Uh, I just like the end of stories basically. And that, and then you got the title of the movie. Yeah. I, I was about to ask, which felt really stupid. I was about to ask. And what did they call it? <laughs> <laughs> what was the, uh, what did they land on? Uh, Thank you. That's a stupid joke. That's a great joke. Let's move uh, on. <laughs> no, I, no, it stays. <laughs> that joke stays. Uh, the joke plays. All yeah. Right. I mean, collaboration to, to, here. I like it. Thank you. To sum up this point, uh, I think what we see from this process is that Reiner is not the only guy with ideas and he's not all, he's also not trying to keep relentless control of the ideas, but he knows how to keep all the ideas going in the right direction, which is sort of the fundamental quality of a comedy director. They have to be sort of like dad <laughs> or like a coach, uh, and they're kind yeah. of half quality control system and half like sort of uh, encouraging their team to perform. It's a little bit of both. Uh, and I think he mm-hmm. did that and it's really cool. Um, my next quality that I think Rob Reiner exudes here is uh, that a comedy director has to be equally skilled with camera, uh, but much, much more transparent as a filmmaker than say a horror director or a thriller director or something like that, or certainly like a Marvel movie or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to give a caveat up top. There are some uh, auteurs who like aggressively control every single frame that who also make comedy, 
right? So like, I would say Quentin Tarantino makes comedies, and uh, not always, but and he controls every frame. So you know, and also of course Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright has like relentless control, mm-hmm. or even Wes Anderson. You know, so there's definitely like exceptions to that, um, but none of those people really mm-hmm. work in the rom com genre so much. Um, Edgar Wright dabbled in it with the uh, the zombie movie that the name of it just flew right out of my head. Shaun, Shaun of the, the Dead. Dead. It's kind of a rom com, but it's also a zombie apocalypse, and I think there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is to say that most comedy directors, particularly rom com directors, have to sort of operate mostly invisibly from a camera slash style perspective. Um, some directors like, like Woody Allen basically only shoot conventional coverage. You know, like Woody Allen, if you watch any of his films from like the last, I don't know, 40 years, they're all like, he sets the camera up to get a basic angle and then he's done. Like he clearly mostly cares about the writing and not the artifice of the camera. Um, but I would say Rob Reiner kind of shows us that there is a lot of poetry available to a comedy director if they want to use the camera creatively. Yeah. Um, so one of the ways that, and not just camera, but also blocking. Um, so to define what blocking means, blocking is the way that a director has the actors physically behaving in the scene. It's everything from where do they walk and when do they sit down and when do they hand this glass to that and what are they doing physically? Um, all that is called blocking. And, uh, when Harry and Sally has a lot of great, physical gags that you don't think about that really enhance the film that are clearly the idea of the director. Here's a good one. Uh, they, we learn about Harry's divorce while they're doing the wave at a Giants game. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, every now and then they need to go It's up, just uh, perfect. It's uh, You know? There is a lot of activity. He really shows how act- active like New York is. Yes. You know? they, yeah, they always feel like they're in the city. Uh, but we're going to talk about that in a second, but you're absolutely right. Um, here's another great physical gag. Uh, Harry, like when we first meet him, like maybe third, three minutes into the movie, he gets in the car and he shoves his butt right in our face, you know, and he's like digging something out of the car. It's a trick that we've seen a hundred times since this movie, but this movie, and I don't, I don't think this movie invented it, but like this movie very memorably uses it. Um, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be done that way, right? It's not in the script to say that it has to be done that way. Uh, or if it is, you know, well done, Nora Ephron. But these are the kind of things directors often decide. Um, one of my favorite ones is Harry and Sally walking side by side in the airport on that conveyor belt, you know? Uh, and it's good. Yeah, Harry's like totally creeping her out. And it's just such a funny use of that, uh, that like, uh, that weird walkway that I think is only in LAX. Right, where it's like, why do they even have this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, where they're just on the, that weird conveyor it's very, belt. It's actually very French new, French new wave is what it felt like. To yeah, me. it did. Where it's it like did people feel like have that. problems navigating spaces, and it's like, let me get past, like, you know, like when you think of like Truffaut, you know, when you think of Godard, right? Some of like Breathless has that, right? You know, Breathless, absolutely. Eight and a half, eight and a half does it too, yeah. Like, where guys, the opening sequence where the guys like tr- like trying to navigate through traffic that's like frozen in time, it's like a lot of like awkwardness is funny. Having to traverse space is funny. Absolutely, and he, he yeah, Reiner uses it really well to just be like a distraction. Yep, because the focus is always the conversation. Yes, but it, but it's a gag that actually feels like a thing that could happen to a real person. Like they're the right they're the yeah. right level of joke. 
you know, uh, and that I really appreciate. Uh, this is one of my favorite bits. It's maybe even in the script, but like one of my favorite bits from the movie is Sally putting each envelope in the mailbox like during the montage and watching Billy Crystal's physicality there is very funny. Like first he's behind her waiting for her to catch up with him. Then he's like, okay, I got to actually stand by the mailbox to indicate enough. She doesn't get it then either. Mm-hmm. So he just takes all the envelopes and shoves them in. And it's like, yeah, just puts them all that's in. funny. You know, like, uh, and I like the, the physicality of that and it's really great. Um, all- also the camera is like a really cool telephoto yes. shot where you get like, you you get just blurred passerby, yes, but which very gives little it the of it. Feeling of they're still on the city street, right? But the focus is very much on them. I yes. love the uh, aspect of the telephoto lens that allows that to be possible. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that in a second, and you're totally on point as always. Oh, oh! so uh, another thing that Rob Reiner always does is he's always giving the actors something to do during the scene. Like they're never just standing around talking. They're always doing a physical thing that actually enhances the joke of it, you know? Uh, what we call the, the business. business. Right. This is what we mean when we say give an actor's business. And it's one of the key ingredients that you have to be good at as a director, especially of comedy, because it's that stuff that makes the scene feel real and lived in, uh, even though the audience will never think about yeah. it. It's stuff like they're rolling up a carpet or they're carrying a tree or they're doing like they're having a conversation over batting cages or whatever. And the really, I always, I love business. I always use that. It's so, it's such a good way to do status too. Absolutely. It shows status. Cause you know, like it's like, I can have this conversation and do this other thing right. at the same time. And it, depending on how confident you are, you like, if you're like, this is no problem. That says a lot about the character. Also, yes. if it's like, I'm struggling just with the simple task and communicating with you on this point, that says a lot of stuff about that Correct. character as that's, well. That's so. what's so great about that's business great. is that it reveals character, uh, which is ultimately your job as a director is to use the subtext of the scene and find ways to physically manifest it. And oftentimes the business does that. And that's great. Um, another thing that, like another, like I feel like, really poetic part of Rob Reiner's directing here is that he has a kind of rhythm and like a sense of repetition that happens a lot in the movie. And I thought it was like really cool. uh, And, and specifically his work. So like examples of this, there's a lot of repeated scenes and shots in the movie, right? Sometimes they're used for like contrast or comedy beats. Uh, Here's an example, right? So the first shot of the movie is Harry kissing a different woman we're not the first shot, but it's the first time we get mm-hmm. into the narrative of it because there's a there there are the interviews, right. right? But first time we get into the, the narrative, Harry's kissing another woman, and then we dolly around it and reveal Sally driving up and looking at them awkwardly, uh, which is very funny, mm-hmm. right? And then the second sequence uh, after they've you know had their whole first encounter, uh, we start with Sally kissing Joe, and then we sort of spin around and catch right. Harry seeing them, right? So that's a funny repetition. And it's used for comedy effect, and it's great. Uh, but then there's a third instance that's much more subtle, and it's during the New Year's Eve don't party uh, in the middle of the film where they – this is like they're starting to get a sense that like, oh, maybe we have feelings for each other. That's the scene where that happens. And instead of spinning around them like we've been doing, what Rob Reiner has them doing is they're spinning in front of us in camera – and we see, because of the slow reveal of faces, that they're realizing, oh, my God, 
like I actually feel something here. We're the kisses. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so they don't kiss at the we end of it. We are the smooches. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Well, because they don't kiss at the end of it, we feel the sense of that's what's supposed to happen here. Well, it's it's put on hold until the end of the movie. Well, right. But because he's deploying it here in the middle of the shot, in the middle of the scene, right? Or mm-hmm. excuse me, the middle of the movie, he's using this repeated beat mm-hmm. to actually disappoint us. you know. And it's one of these great examples of a matching shot creating uh, contrasting emotions. You know, and and subtly reinforcing, we want to see them together. Not like it's the first time the audience thought that, but it definitely is a kind of emotional midpoint, if you will. It's not the midpoint, by the way, but it's an emotional sense of, wow, things are really escalating. They're going to get together. Yeah, I was going to ask, actually. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's close to midpoint, yeah, though. It's, well, the actual midpoint happens really late in this movie, uh, but it's where it is midpoint in terms of runtime of the film. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, which okay. is weird. It's one of the weird things about this movie. So uh, another example is Sally always makes the most embarrassing statements about sex in a restaurant. <laughs> you know what I mean? It happens, obviously, with the right. orgasm. And then uh, the first time she talked, like, I've had sex. She, like, yells it in the restaurant that they go to in the first sequence. As they yeah. walk in. And right. then, you know, of course, we have two montages at the you know beginning of their friendship. And then in the All is Lost segment of the movie where they're not friends anymore. You know, they have all these great mm-hmm. Christmas montages and they're just, they're very effective. They're very sad. And it's the repetition mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, underlines it. And it's so great. It's like poetry. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, there's a kind of poetic structure to it. So another thing that he does that's actually the opposite of that is he does what we'll call contrasting cuts. Um, and a lot of times what he'll do is he'll use a cut between scenes for either comedy purposes or for dramatic contrast. So here's an example. Uh, the shot of Harry leaving Sally alone in the bed, uh, like he leaves, right? It's a good shot. Yeah. yeah, and so he leaves. She's alone in the bed, and we're like, oh, that's not good. The very next thing we see is a cut to Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher cuddled together in bed, the couple that's working, right? You know, uh, which makes the betrayal feel even worse, you know, uh, and it's great, and it's like. Again, a director's job is to tap into like the sort of lizard brain comprehension of an audience and to sort of indicate the dynamic by way of comparison. And this is Rob Reiner doing that, and it's really great. Uh, and they don't realize that that's what's happening, you know? Um, right, right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, I, I love that shot because it's – it's just using simple forms in like simple forms in composition where it's just like, and there is space where he should be. You know, right. there's the space he's just supposed to be. Like it happens a lot in this movie. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, in fact, to that right. point, Reiner also uses the way he composes frames uh, for those p- purposes. Like you just said, um, one of them is that he often creates uh, frames where we anticipate that they should be together without us realizing it. Example, the split screen the split screen conversation where they talk about Casablanca, they're literally in bed together. Right. Right? That's literally what it is. Yeah. The split screen lines up perfectly. The pillows line up perfectly. They're in bed together. And it's just one of those things. Like, of course that's what the movie's about, but here's a way that the director subtly put us there before we were ready. And it's great. Right. Kind of fucking nailed yeah. it too. Like because it's like did a yin yang thing where it's like they're they're symmetry but they're also like he's got a darker pillow she's got a brighter pillow you know it's it's stuff like that yep. it's just like subtle differences 
because you know this is still a movie made where it's like men are from mars right <laughs> women are, women are uh, exactly but at the same time it's like oh but they are showing the like the group together has this cadence uh and he he does that really really well he does it uh, so well it's a good shot yeah another thing that he does a lot and this is like again one of the subtlest techniques i can think of in a film but it's it's super effective is that he uses basically the same size shot uh to in to rhythmically enhance the idea of right. this is how couples look right so like we have all these interviews right and the couples yeah. are basically in the same spot every one of those interviews you know, uh, and we see them together and that's the idea. And then what will happen after the interviews is that we'll cut to a matching two shot of one of them uh, with somebody else. You know, it happens all the time. Uh, sometimes we'll cut right. to them together, right. which yep. is even more obvious, right? But like, it, there's a couple of times in the film where we'll cut to like Harry and he's with a different girl, right? And it's like, ah. Oh. And then we'll cut yep. to Sally's reaction immediately following and clearly she's not into it either. And it's just really great. You know, uh, yeah, I love that. I love yeah. that. It's he does it a lot, by the way, and uh, you know, it's a thing that the audience really doesn't pick up on consciously, uh, but it's super effective. And then finally, because I knew you would want to talk about this, uh, he uses these mm-hmm. great wide shots that are on a long lens to, mm-hmm. I would argue, enhance the intimacy of their relationship. Uh, which is sort of the opposite of how these wides normally work. And I love that about them because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll shoot these like these very beautiful shots of like seasons, like the seasons of New York, you know? Um, and a lot mm-hmm. of times he'll get them in these big wide environments where there's not really that many people. Like when they're together, they're kind of alone together, right? right. They're in a museum. They're yeah. in a huge apartment. And... As you said, New York does feel very busy, but not when they're together. When they're together, they feel like they're alone together. And it's great. You know, if they mm-hmm. feel very intimate. That's it's very yeah. cool. Very cool. Yeah, because it's like, um, I think Reiner was probably thinking of himself as, uh, there's a little bit of rear window in that. You know, Absolutely. Like, no Wide question. shots on a telephoto lens. I'm a voyeur. Yes. You know, I'm yes. looking... I'm looking in this telescope that I have. Right, they're like a god's and eye I'm view. Peeking on just these two people in the sea of other people, but just these two. That's uh, it's very Woody Allen vibe. It's like it's it's a lot of I don't know. I think it's a very common thing from a lot of the uh, rom coms that I've seen that have come out of like New York City and big city, the big city rom coms, where it's like that's a common observation for finding love in the city, right? It it must be a thing. Uh, Having never found love in New York, I just imagine it must feel true. Yeah. I'm thinking of like the, I'm thinking of sex in the city. Actually, It's like, there's so many men, there's so many men out here. Why can't I find the real one? Well, it's a, yeah, this is Uh, a refrain (laughs) that's repeated a lot, especially in the nineties. But like, you know, this is, it works though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it brings up all that sentimentality. And if the camera can do it in a single, just like the way it's set up. Right. It's a lot more, it feels a lot more authentic. Absolutely. And like, there's little things that he's doing to the framing that really make it great. Aside from what he puts in the frame. I think the the lens length here is also great. 
because even though it's like he's using a wide shot in the sense that you know they're alone in this big environment the telephoto of it makes compresses the space enough that it still feels intimate um Mm-hmm. And yeah, it gives that it gives yeah. that voyeur effect like you're saying, which I would call maybe like a god's eye view, you know. Um, yeah, it's great, it, it, and uh, it's again understanding the mechanics of the camera and doing this work that's largely invisible. Like you know, he didn't get nominated for tons and tons of awards for this, um, whereas Nora Ephron did, mm-hmm. and that's interesting. Um, I think he was nominated for like something, but not very many things. She she got most of the credit for what was great about the film. And yet you can really see his hand in it. Um, And the cool thing is, like, to me, that it's actually very difficult to exert this amount of control and make it feel effortless and transparent. Like, that's that's hard to do. Um, It's a lot easier to grab a hold of a film and make loud choices because then you feel more certain about their impact. Um, But I think Rob Reiner's sensibility here understood it was time to get out of the way. And I think he knew that he had a really great screenplay on his hands. You know, like this, this is a tremendous screenplay. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from Nora Ephron. She did great work here. Um, but if you're a strong storyteller and you have a really great script, you know, you can make a great story and make a great film without having to do punchy, memorable camera work, uh, or loud blocking choices or anything. Um, and, you know, I think just my, my sort of like epitaph on the episode would be, you know, I kind of feel like Rob Reiner's a little underappreciated as a director, right? Like he's able to do I think so. a lot yeah. of great stylistic work and made a lot of really great films. And like, I would be proud of those films as my resume, wouldn't you? I'd be like, damn, I did it, right? Yeah, we we put respect on uh, Reiner's name in this house. Yeah, uh, when we did, we talked about Misery. Yeah, and we talked about Stand by Me on the uh, King podcast. Like, fucking yes, dude. Yeah, yes. he's really good. I mean, he, he's he one knows of those how to make a good movie. He does. He's one of those guys who like came from the acting side, and I think that it's a little yeah. harder to sort of impress yourself as an auteur filmmaker when you come from that side of things, like it takes a while for us to accept that. Um, but then eventually never underestimate as well. Yeah. Well, I'll just say like never underestimate as well. The confidence that comes along with like, if you're wor- working in a writer's room, uh, you know, like if you, if you say the joke that gets chosen, it, like, cause there's this group mentality of like, what's the joke? What's the joke? Right. And there's some people who just like, they, it seems like they can breathe this stuff because they're the funniest people around. Uh, and when you, the amount of confidence you get, when you have that moment, I think, uh, I think that Reiner was always going to be a director because I don't think that he was like, I don't, th- I think that moment played over and over and over is what keeps writers being writers. And he's definitely a writer. Definitely. And that was a part of him. But I don't think he would have gone to directing if he uh, didn't realize that he wasn't going to be the guy in the room with like every single joke. But he is the guy with the joke that these go up to 11. You know, like he still had some fucking chops. Uh, And that's what makes that kind of synthesis is where, like you were saying earlier at the beginning of this is really at the heart of this, which is to be a comedy director. You have to do all these things, uh, I think, to be a good one. Um, it requires I think you have to be 
a broad palette of tools, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's much more uh, there's a much more like congenial and sort of like charismatic component to being a comedy director than like making a horror film per se. You know, like not that not that these things are mutually exclusive. You can, of course, there's overlap between them. But like, uh, in comedy, more than any other art form that I've done, uh, you you can't make it happen just by giving instructions. You know what I mean? Like that is not enough by having right. clear instructions. Like you really need the creativity of other people. Right. And if you don't have that, it doesn't work. Yeah. If you, I mean. All comedians have too big of an ego, surprisingly, of course. or not surprisingly, sure. as we're, as we learned. But like, so even though you, it is, we're making a statement that like comedy directors have to become kind of ego, more egoless than a comedy writer, uh, which is just a funny thing to think of, you know, just because they're all comedians, they all have gigantic of egos. But I do think that there is something to be said about if you are the type that you know allows for the best idea in the room to win all these kind of things. Uh, it's you're better for it. And it does have, I guess the added effect of essentially including other people into the, uh, into the, the process of the filmmaking and process of deciding creative control. It's you mentioned like the horror and all the other genres, like it's also, there's something about like the cinematic, like apparatus. And by that, what I mean is like, Sometimes when someone comes to you with an idea or someone's just talking about an idea and it's like with like something like horror or something like sci-fi or there's like a lot of bells and whistles that do are communicated like you're saying with a a bunch of like here's a detailed list of all the orders because it's going to take a whole village to create this. Right. Uh, there's this idea of like, oh, okay, okay. Well, then that's your domain. Like as a director, you almost always get that confidence. Everyone gives that to you. Yep. But when a comedy director walks into a comedy, it's a different story because everyone knows at the end of the day, the money maker is the faces. It's talent. Jokes. Yeah, the talent. And it's talent, a hundred percent. And that, the, of course, in things like rom-coms or just straight up comedies, often the cinematic apparatus, the thing that is like, okay, it's going to be these shots and these shots and we're going to do a rig where it's going to do the stuff like the filmmaking stuff like that is less important. The writing takes the, you know, right. The writing is in the driver's seat. So I just think that that's also interesting is that in comedy it's almost like i think all directors should learn comedy because it's kind of an exercise in deflating your ego and it's, i think it's that partly we all that. can benefit from well, that and also you learn how to manage a team more effectively if you get good at it you know like because uh it's not that you don't have teamwork and stuff in like these other genres you absolutely do but you learn how to inspire which is sort of what everybody's looking for from a director. They're looking not just for like, what are the instructions, but also like, man, give me, give me, get me excited about the project. Right. And that's actually a separate talent than selling the project or communicating the, the uh, instructions. It's a talent of like trying to make other people find in themselves, the thing they love about it. Um, And uh, that's exactly what a comedy director has to get great at. You know what I mean? Like, 
Uh, and I think there's a reason why guys like yeah. uh, Edgar Wright or Judd Apatow or people like that end up working with uh, similar casts for years and years because they've created mm-hmm. a connection where that's become a shorthand, you know, and I think that makes it easier yeah, sure. um, than like, you know, walking fresh into a room and you know, okay, like we're going to, uh, how are you funny? Let's figure it out. You know, like how can I make your funny work yeah. in this larger funny thing? You know? It's crazy that that didn't exist in, like, I would say in the zeitgeist until, like, Cassavetes, you know? Like, everyone was just like, who's the, who Who are the people that, Cary Grant, Cary Grant is the guy. Jimmy Stewart. Everyone wants to go see, yeah. right. you know, like, so that guy in the movie, you know, uh, it's, so there's those, there's those, that era. And then there's, like, Cassavetes who's like, I'm going to use the same cast every time. And then we saw that disappear a little bit and then it like reemerged in like the, you know, like there's repeat, there's repeat collaborations, but we started to see that as like, Oh, filmmakers that have a stable of actors, right. it becomes a different idea. It happens you know, it more, became a, a, a more in vogue. Well, it happens uh, more in comedy than any other place because of the challenge of it's also common. collaborating, you know, like the chemistry yeah, and like getting an environment that feels like we're maximizing our talents, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, you do chemistry tests and all that stuff when you're usually finding like a, like if you're just like, I'm going to make a rom-com, right? Don't you have to have chemistry tests like where we film and try different scene work and improvs and just get to know each other kind of deal, see how each other's brain works uh that stuff why why would you want to do that again <laughs> if you find if you magic to, right just if you don't have re-release to. the magic <laughs> well especially you know, like you can literally make lightning start it, but if you're going to direct something like anchorman you know what i mean like uh which is like a pure comedy right. not a rom-com if you're going to direct something like that then like it doesn't really matter like screen tests are irrelevant because the funny thing is the guy you know the Will Ferrell and like you yeah, know whomever is whomever is improving at that moment. How funny are they? Whereas I feel like a rom com certainly a rom com is a mix and match of talent, but like you still have to for it to work. The chemistry has to work because we've all seen rom coms where it's clear like these two aren't they don't like each other, and therefore the movie doesn't work. Like uh, isn't that Nick Nolte movie with Julia Roberts like a pretty famous rom com? If I I haven't seen it, but uh, what is it? P.S. I love you or something Nick like that. Nick Nolte. Yeah, Nick Nolte and Julia Roberts had a movie that I think is a rom com, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, in like the '90s, and they fucking hated each other. It's like pretty famous. I think it's called P.S. I love you. I'm not. I, I don't know. If that might be. Uh, I love trouble. I love trouble. Whoop! My bad. Yeah, I love trouble. Ni- 1994's I love trouble yeah, so is what the internet says. Early in early in her career. <laughs> this is, I didn't even know this film existed. Right. Right. What a fucking weird film. It's really weird. It's a weird pairing, you know, so the, the chemistry of it still matters in rom-coms. You can't really get away with like right. the like having a stable as much in that genre. Like you're really building around, okay, I got Julia. So who goes well Who's with Julia? It? Yeah. You know, or oh, I got Nick Hugh Grant. Nolte. Well, I know that was a big mistake. <laughs> I don't get it. But like, you know, I can see why Hugh Grant, you could like, you know, there's a lot of ideas there. Uh or like Andy McDowell was a or thing Julia for a bit. Roberts. You know, Meg Ryan was sort of headlining these things for about five, ten years, you know? Um, 
So you end up working around that talent, but then you have to make sure the chemistry works. And that's, that's challenging. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... Uh, Julia Roberts and Mickey Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a weird movie. Fucking love That'd be a weird be ass a movie. weird movie, right? Fuck okay. me. Well, this is... Uh, hey, man. Hey. This is... I, in, I'm glad I watched this movie. And I think you're absolutely right about all the shit man uh yeah fucking nailed it thank you sir uh i just wanted to make sure i got uh, a rom-com through just you know it's a genre that gets neglected it's done now we've done it's it a, i could stop watching them finally <laughs> god but i you could have covered you got mail though i tried remember that well you i'll tell you what that. the observation would have been because i thought a lot about that uh the observation would have been about uh when a writer gets in their own way you know what I mean? Because because the movie has way too many detours about writers in it. Uh, like way too many. Like all of Greg, well, about Greg Kinnear's stuff, and it's it's uh yeah, it's very silly. Considering like everybody in it is also afraid to type anything out on a computer. Like they're like this. Okay, we're gonna try this thing. You know, it's very it's very strange. It's very strange. Greg Kinnear has a whole like typewriter bit in it. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Anyway, does he? Because it's a, it's about the the old and the new man. Yeah, he's well, it's right? But it's so, new. dude. Yeah. Anyway, forgive me. And I'm not trying to slander Nora Ephron, who I think is wonderful, especially as a writer. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did not care for the directing of that movie because I thought the writer of it, who was also Nora Ephron, got in the way. Like it was like, just make the movie. You know, it was. Ah, I see. I see. We don't need this luddite. Uh, debate because it's going to seem dumb in five years and I was right about that but they didn't know they thought that the internet was a fact but they could, that, yeah. no they didn't like I, who thought the internet was going to go away nobody thought that That I don't know I, I did I, they I, 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 listen, I was a child during that transition so I just I listened know. to what my parents said and my dad was very he, had, he was like in this house we believe that the internet is for it's forever and that's all <laughs> It's just for perverts. And then I watched well, You Got Mail, and I realized that, you know what, Adam? We got mail. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right. Maybe we'll have a debate about re- we've, got, we've Got Mail <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll have a debate about that ridiculous yeah, you know, assertion. Uh, it, but, I, hey, we, we finished the uh, rom-com story arc in Director Peace Theater. We did Because this it. also has ca- headcanon. Uh, you know, that I'm very excited for you. And thank uh, you. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is. <laughs> I can go back to watching erotic thrillers now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's <laughs> it's good to. I don't know a lot about rom coms. My mother loves loves rom com. It's like the only genre of movie that she really likes. Mm-hmm. And so I like grew up with them. Like there's there's much more. I've seen much more of those than like any other genre of film uh, by comparison. Really. Like, meaning, of the number of rom-coms that exist, I've seen more of them than, like, thrillers or, like, action movies or whatever. Right, oh, okay. Uh, so there's that. And I, I as I get older, I, I like the sentimentality of it. Like, they're all very sentimental. Like, there's not... A, I've never seen one that was like, there's, let's throw sentiment aside and just do love, like, the messiness of it. I'm like, There's nah, something definitely in this movie about, like, having the interstitial, like, interviews, you know? I felt like I was watching like Band of Brothers for a second when it first started, yeah. where it was just like these old 
couples just talking direct to camera about the times that they've met. And then the last one, of course, is Harry and Sally. And it's very charming because they have the same candor and kind of pacing as all the others. Uh, and it just shows, oh, yeah, we're all we all turn into that couple, you know, like almost like. Yeah, it's it almost feels like, like the movie's saying like one of us, one of us. Yes. But I don't know. No, that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah like but, it definitely feels like a fraternity of like, you know, we all meet a different way, but we all end up on this couch. Right, right, right. Exactly. And I think they're there's something this is before like that seemed like a completely horrifying idea which i would say culture now would think that but like i think i think in the 80s that would have still been a nice sentiment i think i think we're supposed to think that it's just like it's nice it's this is how it's supposed to go it's like this is humans man this is how it is for us that's that's the uh that's the sentiment of the 80s it's the sentiment of every generation it's just like this is how it's supposed to go uh, and the later generations look back and go like, man, that's, that's kind of bullshit for X, Y, Z reasons. It's not like the worst thing in the world. It's just like slightly off. It's a cultural um, myth. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit, we're constantly well, refining. I think we don't make that many of these movies anymore or like they're no longer they're not, in I the mean, theaters. That's a like, wider prob- suggestion though, because they're always like what? $30 million or so. At, you know, well, to pay real talent, yeah, to pay real like, talent, and those movies don't exist anymore. There's just a uh, they don't make their money back, so we don't make thirty million dollars yeah. movies anymore. So that's the end of that. Or they, died, comedies they, in that regard died. A lot of things died, man. They wrap those sort of stories in like an adventure action plot. They to, almost always, yeah, which is you know. I don't know. There's an art form to this, and I, I I don't think it will ever completely die because I think we all want it to exist. And there's always independent filmmaking. Um, of course. Of course. But for well, the that's studio, all I got, buddy. Yeah. Well, this is that's good. Rob Reiner in this house. He did it. In this house. Put respect his on name. his name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was fun, man. Good work. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I don't have anything else. I love you. I love you. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into humans huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!